right? Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today you have all three of your usual hosts for the first time in a long while. I'm so excited. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. I'm Kate. And today we are discussing Richard Linklater's magnum opus, (laughs) School of Rock. Um, wow. <laughs> not not really, because I will say I love Richard Linklater's filmography be- between the Before Trilogy and Days and Confused. He has a lot of wonderful films. Um, and School of Rock is definitely a very interesting entry into that filmography, which I do want to discuss later how it stacks up amongst all of his other films. But uh, just general feelings. What has been your experience with this film? Is it new to you? Is it a film from your childhood? I watched it for the first time uh, in the height of the pandemic, just like no one way. Wednesday wow. evening. Like, let's throw this on. And it was one of the, like, I would say one of the five movies I watched in deep COVID when you're like, let's watch this movie I've ever seen that I was like, wow, that was genuinely delightful. I love that so much. Like, I'm so happy that I threw it on randomly because I had nothing else better to do. Like, it's just so fun. Every, like, on rewatch, you realize, like, how quick the movie is. Like, I was mm-hmm. I was trying to clip out audio for, like, Sarah Silverman yelling at, we'll get into it. But I was like, I went 10 minutes into the movie and he's already at the school. I was like, wow, this movie really does move really fast. It's very efficient with its storytelling. It's very funny. And other than, you know, some female characters who I get think get the very short shrift in this movie, I think it is really strong. Like the kids are compelling characters, the adults are compelling characters, even the principal who's like made out to be super uptight has her own arc. So I I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. How about you, Kate? I think the first time I saw this movie when I was maybe like eight years old. <laughs> um, that just shows you the kinds of movies my parents let me watch before I was like 10. Um, I think it's not an inappropriate film. Yeah, it's not. I don't think. Did no, this, this one movie wasn't. teach you what a hangover is? <laughs> Honestly, no. Like the things that mostly stuck out to me when I was younger was like I just loved. It. I was like, this teacher's so cool. Like he just lets his kids play in a rock band. Like I want to go to a school like that. It taught Kate. It taught Kate about the man. Yeah, I <laughs> if you did. don't remember, stick it to the manitis. <laughs> oh, that's great. But also that when. Uh, He's when Jack Black says I'm hungover and the kid goes, does that mean you're drunk? And Jack Black says, no, it means I was drunk yesterday. <laughs> Great definition. Love it. Um, yeah, and I just love this film. Um, I come from a family that loves like my parents love classic rock. So they loved this movie and they loved when I watched this movie because they were like, yeah, like listen to AD- ACDC with us. So like, oh, I would not peg your parents to be classic rock Are you fans. serious? Oh, oh yeah, Brian God, Cranston is a big huge. classic rock <laughs> fan. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my dad is Brian Cranston, guys. Um, you're learning this now. I know. Um, on the pod. Let go um, of all the secrets. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just like really enjoyed it and it was one of those movies that if it was on cable or on any of the movie channels, at all it stayed on you know so yeah. i've probably seen it maybe like 25 to 30 times in its entirety um wow. and then also just sporadically i've just watched bits and pieces of it other times so um i love this film i was super excited when um i think mike was the one that wrecked it um excuse you <laughs> i think Shruti was the one that wrecked it thank you so, <laughs> um and i just and i love jack black and i was always as a kid like I knew Miranda Cosgrove before she was on Drake and Josh and iCarly because she was on this first. 
And I used to Which, feel like a hipster. Which, by the way, too many acting roles for this child actor. You can do one movie <laughs> and then you can't act again until you turn 18. Come on, Miranda. <laughs> it, I think it turned out all right for her. Um, yeah. Just to clarify, I think Truty wrecked it for this week, but I do maybe, if I recall correctly, want to take credit for putting it on our you list did originally months and months can and I, months can ago. Can I pause? I have never heard wrecked it as an abbreviation for recommended it. That's, it sounds like W-R-E-C-K-E-D it. I was on a six-hour bus ride today. <laughs> I've heard it, Kate. I'm ba- I'm on your side here. Thanks. Um, for me, I'm definitely, I think I'm probably in between both of you. I don't think I've watched it quite nearly as many times as Kate has, but it is a film from my childhood. I don't remember when I saw it for the first time particularly, um, but I do remember seeing it as a kid, and I was I played in band, you know, when we were in school. Oh, um, what did you play? I was percussion. Oh, right, I knew that. Much like uh, Freddie, our friend Freddie. Yeah, you're Freddie. Um, so I started in fourth grade, so like right around that age I was in band, but then, like, this film really has taken on a new meaning for me as an adult because I love literally, like, every single song and album and band mm-hmm. that Jack Black's name-dropping throughout the film is, like, music that I love. So I'm like, that. yes, that's me. This I like. These are all my influences, all my the music that I love. I would be I don't I wouldn't be quite the Jack Black character, but like that's <laughs> if somebody asked me about? for totally music would. recommendations, that would be the the things that I would be and telling them. Mike would yell at his students a lot more and be Wait, much less oh, okay. understanding. Are you are you telling me that you wouldn't fake your friend's identity and then take their teaching job from them? <laughs> No, I think I would do that. What Mike okay. would definitely do is pretend a group of kids had cancer in order to get his way. Oh, wow! Wood. Wow! There's a lot of there's a lot of slander. Happening I'm sorry, Mike. Right I missed you. Well, Mike and I have literally not talked since the last time we recorded a podcast together. So I got to get you know all of my okay. We have out. We've haven't talked face to face. We have. That's true. We have well, texted. It's basically every time time. Mike logs something on Letterboxd, but he doesn't rate it, so I have to text him and say, what did you think about this movie? You can tell if I throw a like on it. (laughs) Wow, I wish Um, I was allowed to share my Letterboxd with the viewers. No, not in a million years, Kate. (laughs) We're starting it. It's time for Shade Court. Kate, play the music right here. Uh, (laughs) Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! Um... I think that, Mike, when you originally texted that we needed to do Shade Court, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming it's Sarah Silverman's character being a nag at um, Jack Black to get a job and pay his fair share of the rent. Is that correct? It's really like a it's a it's a roommate couple, like almost three way Shade Court between Sarah Silverman, Mike White and Jack Black. I think they all sort of have roles to play in in this sort of conflict right because her because sarah silverman right she has conflict with jack black for not paying rent for being lazy but then she also has conflict with mike white mr schneebly um <laughs> for, which is a perfect name yes for letting jack black mooch off of him um yeah. so it's an interesting you know it's an interesting dilemma. 
Um, I can play our first clip for Shade Court, which actually has all three characters that Mike just cited. Uh, this is Sarah Silverman trying to get Jack Black to get out of bed and pay his share of the rent and also get her boyfriend, Mike White's character, Ned Schneebly, to actually ask something of Jack Black instead of her having to do it. Good night. Oh, give it up. Your band has never made two cents. Patty, come on. I'm on this. Oh, you're on this? You're on this? He's walking all over you. Mommy, could we please talk about this later? Uh, no, we can't talk about it later because Ned and I have to go to work. We have jobs. We contribute to society, all right? I am an assistant to the mayor of the city. Hello? What? Can you get her out of here, please? Why? Why her? And Ned has the most important job there is. Temping? Dewey, a substitute teacher is not a temp. He's a babysitter. Oh, yeah, you think it's so easy? Well, I'd like to see you try. You wouldn't last one day. Dude, I serve a society by rocking, okay? I'm out there on the front lines liberating people with my music. Rocking ain't no walk in the park, lady. All right, this is useless, all right? You tell him that if he doesn't come up with the rent by the end of the week, he's out of here. Dewey, I'm not paying your share of the rent, so I don't know. I mean, maybe you should sell one of your guitars or something. What? Would you tell Picasso to sell his guitars? Oh my god, he's an idiot. I just, I honestly feel bad for Sarah Silverman, the actress, because she's given a thankless role, honestly, yeah. in this movie. Like, oh, she, she is. is the shrewd girlfriend who has to just be like, you know, like, ob- which obviously. Is, which is so opposite of Sarah Silverman. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's such, like, a energetic, fun person. Well, this movie came out, what, in 2003? Yeah. Uh, the 2022 rom-com release, Marry Me, on Peacock and also in theaters, um, also had Sarah Silverman play basically the sidekick role. So I honestly feel bad for her that she's still just playing the sidekick in these movies. Not that Sarah Silverman has not had a very prolific and successful career, but it's just funny that she's still basically doing the same part in both movies decades apart. Yeah, I will say, I think, like, the way this conflict starts out, right, it's leaning in in her, her favor in terms of this shade court ruling, right? Like, I think she is standing on on good ground she's making a point um it's a little awkward of the role her boyfriend ned is is playing in this sort of crossfire between her and and jack black um but i do want to point out fun fact which i read this scrolling through imdb is that right at the end there where he says the remark about picasso selling his guitars and she calls him an idiot. Uh, guitars are actually a very prominent influence and figure in Picasso's work. So oh, it's more of a culture take than you would think oh, from wow. Dewey Finn. Do you think that Dewey actually knew that, though? No, definitely not. But <laughs> um, he was slandered nonetheless. And, um, you know, I think it's it's as the story progresses is where Sarah Silverman right starts to lose her ground because she literally she challenges him to pay rent and she challenges him saying that he could not do what ned does and then he does both of those things to a respectable (laughs) degree so he did what she quite literally asked of him and then she still has the gall to turn him into the police so 
I do have the clip of um, the police being called. I just want to say that the joke of calling being a substitute teacher being a temp is so funny. I laugh at it every time I hear the joke. I just feel bad for her because she should not be put in this position where, like, she's literally saying to Mike White in front of everyone, like, tell him this, tell him that. Like, at the end of the day, these are things that Mike White's character needs to be telling his friend, and it's really annoying that she actually is being put in this position where she has to be like, uh, no, tell him he has to pay his rent. Like, she shouldn't have to say that to him. Because she's just looking out for her boyfriend. I really think she's just making sure someone doesn't step all over him. And clearly, this has been going on for a long time where Dewey hasn't been paying the rent and Ned has been covering him, which is, like, not a very good thing to do. And, then, like, like they do make her out to be the bad guy in this film 100%. And I'm like, well, if I was in a relationship and I saw my boyfriend being taken advantage of, and then I had some guy kind of, like, freeloading in our apartment for a really long time, I would also be pretty pissed. And, by the way, we find out the exact salary that is being paid, which is six fifty a week at this, like, pretty prestigious private school. So for Ned to have to cover both of their rent for at six fifty a week is, like, he needs to he needs to get Jack Black to mobilize and make some money. Yeah, if he was like if Ned was like a super high paid finance bro working in like on Wall Street or whatever, if I was Dewey, I'd be like, "Okay, like, you know, I'm not putting you out too much, I guess, but your friend's a teacher. Like teachers are drastically he's underpaid." A he's a <laughs> Yeah, he's a temp. <laughs> uh, all right, should I play the calling the cops scene? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? What? This man is Ned Schneebly. Yeah, he's not even a teacher. You called the cops? She did. She got it out of me. Sorry. You're apologizing to him? Sorry. Ned. Oh my gosh. Wait, I just had a revelation. Am I Ned Schneebly? Because you apologized to everyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, uh, he's, again, he is a pushover, but yeah. calling the cops, I'm sorry. That's, you did, she did not need to call Too the far. cops. No, that all. was, that was extreme. Like, you could have handled that privately, where you could have just been like, hey, I know that you're faking, like, let's have a, a sit-down discussion over how wrong this is to impersonate Ned, and then figure out some kind of solution. They did not have, to, yeah. And not only, right calling the cops but like showing up at the school with the cops knowing know. that it's going to be this whole scene at parent night par- yes yeah that um, was that was where she kind of i, I have to say the the line i used to laugh at the most when i was little during the whole scene is when when dewey is like i have been touched by your kids and yeah. i'm pretty sure i've touched them and then the mom just screams uh, How did, what, did kate, like, what did eight-year-old kate think of that Oh, actually, I don't think eight-year-old Kate knew what that meant. But then, like, teenager Kate was like, Lamau. Yeah, I'm curious, like, which kids watching this movie knew that they were making a joke about sexual assault. Anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, let's move on to, I think, honestly, the nail in the coffin of Sarah Silverman's uh, Shade Court Dumb when, uh, at the very end of the movie, where I guess she finally gets Mike White to stick up for himself. Where are you going? I'm going to the show. You want to go? Yeah, I want to go. Are you serious? I don't want to miss this, Patty. Unbelievable. After everything he's done to you. That is so typical Ned. When are you going to stop being a pushover? When are you finally going to start sticking up for yourself? 
So that noise at the end is Ned closing the door on her face, finally sticking up for himself. So I don't know. Are you guilty of shade when you finally get the outcome that this character needs to go on? (laughs) If anything, she's the hero to Ned Schneebly's story. I think I've come right back around, actually. I mean, he does He does finally stick up for himself exactly. by, by not letting her boss him around anymore. And see, that's why it's so interesting as this sort of triangle, because she is the hero to his story and the thorn in Dewey's side. So it's both of those things aren't mutually exclusive. It seems like Ned doesn't even care about her at all, like, in the beginning when they're fight after she leaves the room and just Ned and Jack Black's character are talking. And Jack Black is basically saying, like, get rid of her. You don't need her. And Ned's like, I don't think I could get another girl to date me. Like, I'm not going to get another girlfriend. So we, well, what he values is having a girlfriend, not necessarily this specific girlfriend. That's very true. He never shows any kind of, like, affection towards her during the whole film. He's kind of just awkward. And she's like, she's here. <laughs> she lives here. Yeah. I will say, even now thinking about it, right, like, in terms of the the dewey aspect of it right like his his sort of arc i would say is like complete opposite of hers right where in the beginning clearly he does something very wrong impersonating a professionally trained teacher who is responsible for a bunch of children in their future and their learning but you know by the end completely redeems himself i think and is honestly the most responsible is not the word, but the most respectful adult in the room towards these towards these kids. Like he honestly does the most justice by these kids, I think, in the way that he treats them. So in the full spectrum of this triangle between the three of them, I think there's a lot of rights and a lot of wrongs committed. And it's like difficult to say in the very end, like, who is just or or who wins. So this juror is voting for a mistrial. Ooh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll match you on a mistrial because, again, honestly, I think Sarah Silverman's character sucks, but I, I shade Mike White, the writer, more than anything else because he just, like, her dialogue, she is just the shrew in the story that has to be nagging everyone. And I don't appreciate that, but at the end of the day... She does get the outcome she needs out of Ned Schneebly. So I'm with you on a mistrial. Catherine? Uh, (laughs) I mean, you really shouldn't impersonate someone and steal their job. (laughs) I, I know it works out well in the end and the kids have a great experience. But like, I don't think the lesson in this movie should be steal, um, uh, fraud. Well, I do think also while all characters or at some point in the wrong in this movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, I really have only seen it these two times, but I think Jack Black's character is the only one that actually apologizes. Like, when the children come and get him, I remember writing in my notes, like, he still has to apologize for what he did, and then he gets on the bus, and that's the first thing he says, is, like, a genuine apology, admitting wrongdoing, saying what, like, you're not supposed to lie to your bandmates, like, really being dedicated Mm -hmm. to creating this culture of... Um, commitment to each other within the band. Oh, no. Like he is so. I great. really like his character. Just don't commit fraud. Yeah. <laughs> and don't call the cops on something that doesn't need the cops called on. 
we here on chaos on the set do not support calling the cops yeah um but no that's in k when you said like the um the lesson from from the story right being to not steal somebody's job and and impersonate a teacher it it did get me thinking i think at the end of the day um jack black dewey really does embody the message of the story i think that is i think he does i saw your face your reaction which our listeners can't see but (laughs) kate's throwing some doubt at me right now i think the lesson at the end of the day right is that you should instill kids with confidence and treat them with respect and encourage them to follow their dreams and and stop living such a regimented life stick it to the man i think that stick it to the man now that is the lesson from the movie and there's nobody well, that embodies you, that you can like do Dewey all Finn. those things you can do all those things and help those kids in that way without stealing someone's job <laughs> look there's no way better to stick it to the man than committing corporate committing fraud, fraud okay well Come are on. we trying isn't the man I mean, I. The man is the institution. Society's institution. But Ned is just a teacher trying to make some money. He's not the institution. He's He's a teacher. He's a a cog in the machine, Kate. He is a. He's a. He's a. He's a man sympathizer. But aren't we all just cogs in the machine? Because yes. if we if we aren't cogs, we don't have food and and shelter, and we die. Yeah, that's why we watched this movie and learned a valuable lesson. And tomorrow you're gonna go out and quit your job and stick it to the man. <laughs> I'm gonna hard pass on that, but thank you. Why don't you quit your job, Michael? Don't tempt me. Oh, <laughs> I, hope I hope none of your coworkers listen to this. Yeah, there's um, no way. And the, oh, we need some more listeners, Mike. Come on. <laughs> um, I've had two of my coworkers on the podcast. Anyway, um. In the, in the beginning of the movie, Dewey gets kicked out of the band, his first band, because he's surfing the crowd too much and doing too many solos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He ends the movie surfing the crowd. So, has he learned his lesson? <laughs> yeah, that all that matters is putting on a good show. Yeah, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just being nitpicky here, I know. I also want to talk about Miranda Cosgrove's character. Because she's so obsessed Summer. with grades, right? Like, she's kind of annoying, honestly. <laughs> and she's the kid the that ho- reminds the teacher they forgot to assign homework. Exactly. <laughs> but And she also reminds the teacher about pop quizzes that they have. Like, come on, my guy. Like, if well, I was in my class. Listen, I would argue that her that was type A person <laughs> i would argue that her type a personality is a result of her parents putting an extreme amount of pressure on her to overachieve in this private school setting and go to a good college and have a good career and have a good life even though she's like 11 and she shouldn't be worrying about those things yet um and i think like i think throughout the movie dewey kind of gets her down from that place a little bit to be more relaxed you know and i think it's a it's a fun to see this but she basically thinks that, like, if she does, if she isn't perfect at everything, she's going to, like, fail. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see there's some parental pressure because she says, like, my parents don't pay, what is it, $15,000 a year which, for this? How which, does a 10-year-old know how much their tuition costs? But, I mean, that must mean that her parents, her parents literally yell at her yeah, saying, yeah. we're paying $15,000 a year for this. You've got to make it worth it. So she's definitely been, you know, really tormented by her parents. 
I think that, you know, it's nice that in the beginning she's like so stuck on getting a good grade. And then at the end when she comes up with the cancer secret. Yeah, they're Prank well. No, they're all the right terminal. They have a blood disease. A s- yes, stick it to the manonitis. <laughs> um, and he says, "Oh, great job, Summer." And she says, "I didn't do it for the grade." So that at that point, you're like, "Okay, look at Summer, really going." Like she on an found arc. a she found instead of just being a good student, and getting good grades, she's now found like this new passion in music and like being part of a band and a team, and that's really cool. But then again, at the end of the movie, she's asking about how they're going to get graded after, like, the whole fallout situation. And I'm like, Summer, what happened to your arc? It's not about the grade anymore. I really wanted to shake her in that moment. Oh, but she's, she's 11. <laughs> okay, well, now Miranda Cosgrove is my age, so it's talking about summer's character and another character that really stuck out to me um is another student tamika she's one of the backup singers and she's the one that's too shy to sing at first but then she has an amazing voice um and we have a clip from before she's gonna go on stage she gets cold feet and um there's a reason for it and yeah we have the clips why don't we just play it is it are you nervous yeah why well what are you afraid of they're gonna laugh at me what? Why would they laugh at you? I don't know. Because I'm fat. Tamika. <sighs> hey, you've got something everybody wants. You've got talent, girl. You have an incredible singing voice, and I'm not just saying that. You heard of Aretha Franklin, right? Okay, she's a big lady, but when she starts singing, she blows people's minds. Everybody wants to party with Aretha! And, um, you know who else has a weight issue? Who? me but once i get up on stage start doing my thing people worship me because i'm sexy and chubby man why don't you go on a diet because i like to eat is that such a crime look you know what that's not even the point the thing is you're a rock star now all you got to do you just got to go out there just rock your heart out people are gonna dig you i swear let's just go out there show them what we got what do you say okay Thank you. Let's rock. I love that scene. I love that scene. It honestly might be the best scene in the movie. And for a movie that came out in the early 2000s, when, like, a lot of the comedy movies did hyper-sexualize, like, female characters, like, a lot of movies did in the early 2000s, this is kind of nice to have a conversation of, like, I'm people are going to call me fat. And he's like, so, like, you're really talented. It shouldn't matter that you're fat. And then he's like, I'm fat, too. He's like, well, why don't you go on a diet? And he goes, because I like food. Is that a crime? I was yeah. like, ah. Oh. I remember this scene just stuck out to me a lot when I was a kid. And when I was growing up later as a teenager, when, when body issues for women start to hit really hard when you're, like, 13, 14, um, I remember watching that scene and being like, oh, and I feel like so 
so many times when both media and real life people confront this issue and somebody says I'm fat the response is always like no you're not like you're mm-hmm. like you look perfect blah, blah, blah. and this is just so what like you should be yeah. proud of the way your body looks and you should be proud of your voice and you should be proud of your talent and like who the fuck cares about what society has said that fatness equates to not being beautiful like I'm still sexy when I go on stage and this is Jack Black not me <laughs> saying that you know <laughs> but I really I, I really really love and really respect that in 2003 that that was the kind of dialogue Mike White was writing. And Jack Black just delivers that so well, too. Like, it's very believable for him to kind of give that monologue to her. Yeah. I mean, We've I, honestly been... Sorry. You no, I was just going to say, I, I think you both summed it up perfectly. Shruti, I was going to make that point, too, of, like, not, you know... Um, not denying fatness. not denying yeah. it and not not just saying, like, oh, no, you're not just for, you know, and playing it off. Like, they have, like, a very genuine beautiful conversation um and and i think like again that's that's what's really like throughout the film right it's not even just that that moment but there's like so many different sort of like inspiring heartfelt moments between dewey and his students right um going back to when lawrence doesn't want to be in the band because you know people nobody likes him and he's not cool and then like the way that he connects um is it zach the guitar player is that his name the way he connects with zach after seeing his dad verbally abuse him in the parking lot um all of those little moments throughout the film i think are really like one of the most powerful and, and best parts about school of rock yeah he i mean he does live up to like i give mike white a lot of credit for this in the script because you know, Dewey lives by sticking to the man, and he really demonstrates that throughout the entire film because he just goes against societal norms constantly um, mm-hmm. and, and goes against, like, stig- stigmas and goes against expectations and, and just kind of goes, no, stick it to the man, just do what makes you happy. And you guys are kids, and you guys should be doing what makes you happy, not stressing out about, you know, a distant future. On that note of Mike White, you know, giving room for characters to, you know, be their fully formed self, I think that it would have been really easy, just like he wrote Sarah Silverman's character, to also have the principal of the school, Joan Cusack's character, to just be, like, super stuck up, needing everything to go by the rules, yelling at people all the time. But they give that character her own arc with her, like, self by uh, her and Dewey go out for coffee, which ends up being beer. Um, and she lets loose a little bit. And then on the car ride home, she like tells Dewey, like she confides in him by saying, you know, I was pressured to be this kind of person. They hate me. No, they don't. Yes, they do. They sure do. I can see. I wasn't always like this, you know. I wasn't always wound this tight. There was a time when I was fun. I was funny. I was. But you can't be funny and be the, the principal of a prep school. No, you cannot. Because when it comes to their kids, these parents, they have no sense of humor. No. And, and if anything goes wrong, it's my head. All right? It's my head in the smasher. These parents will come down on me like a nuclear bomb. I can't make a mistake. I got to be perfect. And that pressure has turned me into one thing that I never wanted to be. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I am a big one. Well, I don't think so. I think you're pretty cool. 
So she's uh, she's mouthing the word bitch. <laughs> I yeah. guess they couldn't say it. Uh, I don't know. But I, again, like, I think, like, earlier in the movie, Jack Black asks the other teachers, like, is she always like this? And they're like, yeah. And then, like, cuts to this uh, scene in the background where she's telling a teacher about how, like, a plate with peanut butter infiltrated another plate and how that's a really big deal, which... That is a really big deal. Like, a child could die with a peanut allergy if that happened. But it's under the context, oh, she's so stuck up. Which, like, no, like, she should be that stuck up about something like that. Well, there's also one scene, too. I think it's, like, one of her first scenes where she has a little girl in her office. And she's, like, trying to, like reprimand the girl and the girl is like sobbing and she's like hey you can go and she, the girl just screams and runs so how about when she, but she, no, she says offers she, her sorry, a hug she says, and she's startled by the hug yeah 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 and she says you can go emma saying the girl's name and therefore letting this movie pass the bechdel test thank you John Cusack. <gasps> <laughs> oh no is that the only way it passed um, I think there might be a couple other scenes where, like, the students are talking to each other about music. I think there's, like, two or three. I, re- I listened to the Bechdel Casts episode yeah. on um, this movie, but that their podcast came out in, like, 2017, 2019. Oh, it was okay. a long time ago. But uh, they, that was one of the scenes they pointed out where the movie passes the Bechdel Test. So good job, Mike White. Um, do you want to know something? Because I obviously watched this movie a lot when I was younger, and I hadn't watched this movie in, like, a, a few years now since I rewatched it for this podcast. I always forget that they do not romantically link the principal with Dewey at all. No, I really, and, really like that. And, and don't you think, like, this is, the like, the... It, it'd be so easy in a script like this. I had read that so they, they would originally that. were going to. We're going to. They yeah. originally were going to. It takes away. It takes so much away from her arc of trying to be like less uptight and, and care less what these parents think to then be like, oh, also I'm going to get with Dewey. Yeah. Just yeah. because he's the male lead and I'm like the other female lead. Might as well, you know. No, I really like the way they show Dewey looking at her, like them bonding over music. And it's not, it's like really just showing a male-female friendship instead of a love story. And I'm like, wow, this is so awesome to watch. Like, oh, are they going to bang next? So you don't have to worry about that. It's just like they're friends. And they, like, she asks him to come to the parents' night because she wants a friend there to, like, help and support her, not, like, a romantic partner, you know? And again, it's just, like, how Dewey is with his students, right? Like, he gives her confidence. He... Although at first he's duping her, he does, you know, eventually, like, <laughs> see the, the best in her and, and, and encourage her. Um, but, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, like we just said, they were going to be linked romantically from the start, which I think would have been a completely different movie. Um, but also while we're on the subject, it, it made me think of another thing that was originally in the script that wasn't. I'm going a little off track here, but it's too good not to okay. mention um, originally, the circumstance in which Dewey gets the teaching job, right, because the um, teacher fell and broke her leg, um, the original premise was that Dewey oh, no. hit her with his car. <laughs> and that's how she broke her leg, and, and then he got the the job they, as a teacher. They should have kept that in. <laughs> I, thought you're, I thought you were about to say that the teacher accidentally burned her foot on a George Foreman no. grill. <laughs> got to sneak an office reference in there. Well, I was um, planning on it office. later. You know what? I do remember now, though. She does end up at the very end with 
that guy in the other band, the one with like the tight sixes tongue out really long. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? I don't. I don't he know went, if he he has went a name. on to be like a district attorney in Texas. I remember seeing with that actor. The actor. Yes. The guy. That is so funny. The long haired guy with no shirt. Yes. He's not wearing no shirt. He has. He has the sleeve thing, but he's. You know what his name is? You know what his name is? Spider. Oh, yeah, well, Spider went on to be a district attorney wow, in Texas. Good for him. And if you All right, so switching topics here a bit, I do want to mention the film's legacy, right? And there's a couple of different um, ways that School of Rock has lived on since it came out in 2003. So first starting with a proposed sequel back in 2008, and then we'll get into a couple of other different mediums in which the film has continued on. But uh, in 2008, they were discussing a sequel and... The premise in the sequel titled School of Rock 2, America Rocks, um, (laughs) basically would have been uh, Dewey leading a group of summer school students on a cross-country field trip that delves into the history of rock and roll. Um, And I'm stealing this straight from Wikipedia. You know, got to list your sources (laughs) here. Um, But apparently uh, they just couldn't get all the pieces in the right place to make the film. I think Jack Black was very um, insistent on wanting to have Richard Linklater uh, and Mike White part of it um, uh. and good and producer Scott Rudin. So I, I just think they weren't Boo. able to figure it. Well, I'm just reading the source, Kate. <laughs> Boo. Um, but yeah, they, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't get a sequel. Um, is that something that you would have wanted to have seen, or do you think it's better that we did not get a sequel to School of Rock? Honestly, I, I think it would have been fine. My yeah. one concern, again, is the premise of these movies involves a lot of child actors, and I don't like child actors. And so I just think any anytime you can do content, like have Jack Black go and make The Holiday, where he's just as charming, but you don't need to make a bunch of children act. That's... And speaking of speaking of these child actors, um, Richard Linklater, by the way, was insistent that they all had to be able to play their respective oh, yeah. instruments. So they were both child actors and child musicians. The uh, Bechdel cast that I listened to pointed out that one of the musicians in the band never speaks. Like even when Jack Black is trying to get her to, I don't know, like head bang or something while she's playing yeah Yeah. i like their theory was that in the contract she was like i'll play and she was a talented player but she was like i don't want a single speaking like not even a yes or okay i'll do you know Mm. uh which changes your sad card by the way if you don't say more than four words so that actress didn't get her sad card she also did not get a solo (laughs) in the outro credits Yes, that's what they also pointed out on the podcast that that like contributed to the theory. Again, we don't know. This is I'm citing a theory from a podcast from 2017, but it is interesting to note. So there also is a musical called School of Rock, which was on Broadway um like seven years ago, and um 
Dewey Finn was played by Alex Brightman, who is now playing Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice on Broadway. And I saw the show not with that cast, but I saw the show in London because it opened on the West End in 2016 and I was in London in 2017. Wow, did you go abroad? Did I go abroad? I did. And I took my whole family to it because we were like, well, what can I take you guys to see? Oh, we all love School of Rock. Let's go see that. And I thought it was amazing. And I... I would say I enjoyed it just as much as the movie, actually. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And the, the music is by Andrew Lloyd Webber, so you can't go wrong with that. The music was really good. And they did take, like, you know, like, um, na, 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 straight ace, you know that song? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to be the teacher's pet. They took that and do put it right in the musical. So they do take that song, they, they you know, and then mm-hmm. that's, like, their big performance in the show, too. And I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean it. It did quite well. I I'm no it did. expert uh, about like Broadway musicals, so I don't know how it necessarily stacks up against maybe some other productions. But when you consider the box office for School of Rock was 130 million dollars, and then over the course of a couple years they did something like 1,300 shows for School of Rock the musical, and it earned 160 million dollars. So, mm-hmm. um. Clearly, it uh, did quite well, and I, I had no idea it was a thing I would have actually would have really liked yeah, to have seen that, just, had I also been studying abroad in London. Um, I mean, I was <laughs> lucky that I was, like, in a city like that when it was, you know, yeah. going Now, do you recall, it does it does it follow the same basic premise, or is there, like, any major differences between the musical and the film? It's I'm putting been, you on the spot here. It's been pretty long because it's been like five years um i'm pretty sure yeah that i remember it really following the script pretty well you've got patty um and ned so sarah sullivan's character is still in this oh god Um, is she as much of a shrew (laughs) oh yes she is oh god Come on. They oh they have I remember they had a song. They literally turned math is a wonderful thing into like more of a song in this. Oh, that's Mm. great. Uh, That's a great song. Yeah. Um. No, it's not. Okay. It's a. (laughs) (laughs) The the thing. Okay, they do have. This is where I think I was getting confused. I was like, oh, I forgot that they don't end up together in the movie, the principal and Dewey, because in the musical. They do. Oh, interesting. They Ooh. they do make them more of a romance Ooh, plot line. We hate heteronormativity. <laughs> Boo, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> you heard it here first. Andrew Lloyd Webber sucks. Um, wow. They also had a TV series spinoff of School of Rock that went three seasons, which is shocking, and apparently also started streaming on Hulu in 2018 or something like that. Um, it was a Nickelodeon show. I never watched it. I'm I was sure reading it was about it. They like made Tamika the main character, but like she's not black in the show. No, well, that's fucked up. If y'all had your own sequel in mind for this movie, what do you think should happen? Ooh. I think that I would like it to follow an adult Zach and he starts teaching music somewhere or does something oh, that's nice. that involves music and then it's him mentoring a group of kids and him reminiscing on when Jack Black mentored him and then I would love for Jack Black to like also be in the movie as like a cameo and be like hey because he's still friends of Zack even through adulthood because that's how much he impacted him did y'all know Jack Black is or he doesn't do it anymore but he like started YouTubing for a while 
He had oh, like a really? YouTube oh. game channel. Jack Black does some crazy shit. <laughs> he just seems like such a delightful person. He really does. I mean, you can't work that well with kids and not be a good person, no. you know? He can just really do anything. Yeah. He He's plays just, like, he plays a great role in Weird, the Al Yankovic story, by the way. Oh, I need to see he, that. He's he also does? Yeah. I watched that movie. What does he do in that movie? Spoilers for weird. Mike, tell me. <laughs> he's he's the guy that shows up at the pool party and he's like, who's this? And he's like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The weird in general is full of cameos and it's yes, great. I loved weird. He's also um, going to be in the new Mario movie as Bowser. Oh, God. <laughs> that film, <laughs> that film, Wait, that film is anti-Italian discrimination. <laughs> I just, I tried to ask Ruthie if you saw the trailer, but instead I said, did you see the Shruther? Um, oh, did, did you see the trailer, Shruthi? Uh No, I haven't. Maybe it'll come up before Bones and All, do you think? So, no. so, in, probably not. Chris Pratt is awful in the trailer, but you know who steals the show and is actually really great? Toad. Jack, Jack Black. Black as Bowser. Oh, oh. <laughs> you thought it was going to be Toad. I thought, was gonna, I thought she was going to say Toad. No, what? Okay, toad, real, it's me. I, I real toad. quick no, side story. They need to bully the producers of Mario just like they did with Sonic and get that movie fixed. Because it actually doesn't look like I don't hate the premise of it, but Chris Pratt needs to go. Um, um, they're not going to do that. Can I pitch my sequel? Yeah, yeah and then I want to get to mine because I really have a, a great one here. Okay, you go first. You go first. Uh, we'll save the best for last. You're going to really be blown okay. away by my sequel. <laughs> okay. Well, mine is just because when Jack Black is defending himself to the parents, he says, uh, you know, Summer used to be a real pain in my ass, but now I'm confident she will be the first female president. And guess what? (gasps) That is still possible, sadly. So I would love to see a sequel. Summer is all grown up. Her political career is thriving (laughs) and she runs for president. And that way it's all adults and you don't have to have a child actor. Fair enough. I, I hate to break it to you, but children do exist in this world, and sometimes they will need to be played by children in I'm just media. trying. I get it. I get, Listen, the child in Station Eleven, fantastic job. Oh, Don't ever oh act God. again. That's Matilda Lawler. I know. She's right by seat. Oh, you uh, used no, to rep her? used to. <laughs> All right, Mike, okay, what's your you sequel? ready for mine? This is, I cannot wait. This is really going to blow you away. Okay. Okay. My okay. sequel to School of Rock is a crossover event featuring Lydia Tarr because they exist within the same universe. And as part of her recovery tour, spoilers for Tarr, (laughs) as part of her recovery tour, Lydia Tarr has been hired by the School of Rock to teach classical music. And in this film, she verbally abuses child musicians and child actresses and actors. I think it would be fantastic. Oh my God. That is really good. I'm glad. I'm glad you said you had to go last. <laughs> yeah, I and you know what? I came up with that one like boom on the spot, and I just and but I knew see, it would. I knew it would resonate. The reason I can't support the sequel until maybe next year is because any announcement of a sequel of this nature would bolster Kate Blanchett's uh, Oscar campaign, and I really need Michelle Yeoh to be the front runner here. <sighs> it's a great dilemma. It really is because I do love Michelle Yeoh, but. I think Kate Blanchett deserves to win everything, so it's. I, she already has her Oscars. Yeah, but giving her yeah, three, three to the top. No, Michelle needs one. No, she yeah, needs to I be at the think... top of the list. 
All right, we can stop talking about the Oscars. Oh, but I should say here on the podcast recording, so I can point to this podcast recording next spring when we record our Oscar nominations podcast that I'm going on the record now. Top Gun Maverick is going to get nominated for Best Picture. Are you going to go on the record about... Kate, you want to bet? Let's bet on it. Are you going to go on the record for Michelle Yeoh getting a nom? Oh, yeah. Or such a lock? We don't even have to. I think Michelle's going to win. Okay, Kate. Okay, Kate. Um, also, Kate, can I just say, remember me? months ago when I said Pinocchio for Best Animated? I'm <laughs> feeling good about that one. And well, turning red to win. Tying it back to the movie that we're covering today, <laughs> School of Rock, Pinocchio will be in contention with Richard Linklater's, what is it, uh, Apollo, Apollo 10 and a half? I think it's eight and a half. Eight and a half. I think it's 10 and a half. It, t- it might Whatever. be 10 and a half. Oh, gosh. Now we have to look it up. Um, and, uh, so that's what Richard Linklater is doing right now, campaigning for an Oscar. The movie did, it came out in April. It is I don't, ten I don't know and how, a half. I, my apologies. He just officially got cleared for it to be eligible for animated feature because of about a bunch of whatever. Uh, Mike White, on the other hand, guess what he's doing right now? Do y'all know? White, White Lotus. Lotus. Well, no, that's what's coming out right now. Do you know what he's writing right now? <laughs> Despicable Me 4. There's another <laughs> one? I thought, th- I thought they were done. No. <laughs> just do it just no kill me. i guys i think this movie is going to be amazing i really do well the, I think the Mike recent White one write... was is was actually really good right you said no it wasn't minions the rise of Gru was garbage it got six standing ovations you said okay that's because of the it was meme. ironic oh. <laughs> in case you didn't know i just went to see minions rise of Gru opening weekend in imax and there were six rounds of applause no, but honestly, listen, I think your first Despicable Me movie is a great movie. Um, the sequels are fine. Uh, no, the Minions movie, the original Minions movie was whatever. The sequel Minions movie was absolute garbage. If you're going to support a DreamWorks um, animated feature, please watch The Bad Guys. I thought that was fantastic. But I think Mike White would act. He's writing another movie for Elimination also called uh, Migration. So he's doing two animated features right now. And he's done animation before. Um Okay, never mind. This is not this is not helpful. He co-wrote the Emoji movie, <laughs> which uh, he got a Razzie for. So maybe he doesn't have the best track writer, record writing for animation. But I really think Despicable Me Four is going. I'm to be a great. I'm a strong believer that this this um, franchise needs to die and that no one can save it. Well, you know what's so funny is I was listening to a podcast about the evolution of Avatar, and they're pointing out how since the last Avatar the movie last came Airbender? out, the sequ- no Avatar two thousand nine. This December, Avatar's sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, is coming out. Between these years, since Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water, there have been, like, 30 Marvel movies, which is, like, whatever. We know Marvel is Marvel. But there have been five Despicable Me movies since Avatar came out. And a theme park ride. I think that's hilarious. What a franchise. (laughs) I do have to point out that I will not go see the second Avatar movie, even if you guys It's three hours and ten minutes. Yeah, why aren't you going to go see it? I'm not fucking seeing that. Because, you want to know why? Because in 2009, when that godforsaken movie came out, <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender was getting its film remake, which was really bad. We don't talk about that. It was but horrible. because of Avatar, they could not call it Avatar The Last Airbender. They had to call it just The Airbender, The Last Airbender because Avatar copyrighted the name Avatar. Okay. Kate, <laughs> but, like, Avatar okay. The Last Airbender existed first, uh, and I hate the blue people. I hate them. They've, they've, they've tarnished Avatar no. The Last you Airbender's name. You can't trash this indigenous population. Yeah, okay. I am. Avatar is fantastic. It makes me, Boo, no. it makes me think of the Parks and Rec where... Leslie and Andy Samberg are like, what did you think of Avatar? I think it exceeded <laughs> the hype. 
um, on Jones Show. But can I just say, James Cameron was was doing Avatar, The yeah. Last Airbender, a favor because that film, no. the last, oh, that's the last Airbender for. was so fucking bad that they're lucky that the name Avatar was not put on it. All right. But it's not. It's not just that. Ugh. It's the fact that. Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I love Avatar. And people go, the blue people movie? And I go, no, the fucking cartoon, you well, fucking Kate, piece of garbage. Kate, maybe, maybe you, call you the should take a lesson. Name. Exactly. Call things by their title huh. and you won't have confusion. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Yeah. All right, we got we to wrap this up. This has gotten unhinged. <laughs> That's why it's called Chaos on the Set. Speaking of which, I think that's a good segue into discussing our band name if we were to come up with make a band obviously you know very tip of the nose here chaos on the stage i think i was gonna say that you fucker okay but that's not i'm just saying like that's the obvious one it's teamwork you don't have to be mad it's not even my choice i'm sorry i stole that that was just i thought that was like so basic that we would go right past it (laughs) I was going to, you know, double down on the office reference here. Mm. You have and, you have you have and, one third of this band that's never seen the office. Just remember I that. I don't care. <laughs> that's your problem. Well, how about a teamwork? That's your problem. In the office, Kevin Malone's band is Scrantonicity because they are a police cover band and it is a play on both Scranton where he lives and the album Synchronicity. I think we should be called Syracuse City because we all met at Syracuse. Syracuse. <laughs> but we met there, so it doesn't matter. But we met there. But that's that's uh, that's where but we also, met. Okay, you have a current connection to Syracuse. Yeah, you You're work there. <laughs> Don't disclose where I work on this. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> well, that that's my entry into our band name, and we will, and we I... will only be playing police covers. By the way. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I like chaos on the stage. I'm supporting that one. I didn't do any work on this. I don't have any band names to contribute. Oh, um, I think you know how like people do like so and so's name, and then the and it's like a band name. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would be Mike and the two friends that he just tolerates. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and the tolerators. That's not bad. Or the tolerated. Oh, Mike and the Tolerated. That's yeah. a good Thanks band. So that's a good band name. That really is. <laughs> like that's some indie shit you would go see at Lollapalooza. And then when someone goes, yeah, when someone goes like, so why? Like, explain your band name, and you'll be like, I'm Mike. This is Shruti and Kate. And I, I tolerate them. Simply tolerate them. <laughs> Done. All right. Signed, sealed, delivered. It's over. <laughs> Can I get a favorite quote from each of you in this film? Honestly, I think my favorite quote is. Um, He's a temp, and it's like, I'm not a temp, I'm a substitute teacher. <laughs> oh, no. Mike, do you have one? My favorite quote is when Freddie and Katie are walking into school. This is when Freddie has his hair punked down, his sleeves rolled up. And he says, I'm just saying, name two great chick drummers. And she says, Sheila E., Meg White from the White Stripes. And he goes, she can't drum. Which I just think, as a fan of the White Stripes, is it's a very it's like a more of like an inside joke if you're a fan of the band because basically the White Stripes are are just two people. It's Jack and Meg White, and at the time they were married, and 
people would just say that like he threw her on drums to like give her something to do. So it was like a very funny like inside joke. Like the joke is that he's a better drummer than her, but he was playing guitar instead. So It's a sexist joke. But she's also not yeah. a good drummer. So it's kind of love it, sexism. So it's Mike's favorite quote of the movie was sexism. Yes. <laughs> love it. Well, and then later in that conversation when the principal asks him what is what's up with his hair and he says it's called punk and she says well it's not school uniform and he says miss mullins you're the man so (laughs) double sexism that that one made me feel a little bad for her because she takes it as a compliment but he's making fun of her yeah it's perfect i have i have so much sympathy for this principal honestly she says like i can't mess up because these parents are so intense and being the daughter of a president of the school board i can confirm that parents are so intense and Mm -hmm. borderline like obviously you should care about your kid's education i'm not saying that you shouldn't be super invested but the requests of some of these parents man i i feel so bad for teachers and administrators and we should cherish them honestly yes on that note should we wrap things up my favorite quote. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kim, what was your favorite? <laughs> okay, it's not going to sound like this in the edit, but in reality, Kate asked us for our favorite quote 20 minutes ago, so I forgot. <laughs> My favorite quote is from Billy, a.k.a. Fancy Pants. And it's when Dewey is asking people, asking the kids for examples of what makes them mad and Billy raises his hand and goes, you. And then Dewey's like, come on, you have to move on from the insults, Billy. And then he just goes, you're tacky and I hate you. And that's that's it. That was great. I also liked the, uh, you have body odor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now can we have yes. things up? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for not asking you about your favorite quote, Kate. Why don't you get us started this week on telling people where they can find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kate underscore Y. I have a letterbox, but I'm not allowed to share it because Michael said if I do, he'll, I don't know, he'll just like be sexist towards me because oh, that's okay. what he's been doing this whole pod. No. no. <laughs> Get out of here. How about this? He said he'll just tolerate me. All right. Okay. <laughs> you can find me at letterboxed at Emricardi and you can request to follow me on Twitter if you can find my account. <laughs> And I may or may not accept. I got some weird um, requests lately, and I don't know if they're listeners or if they're just random accounts. So I, have you been accepting them? No. <laughs> well, you can you can also see if they're listeners by seeing if they follow us on Twitter at True. Chaos on the Set. Oh wait, first I should say me. I'm at Micro Marate on Twitter. I'm at Shruti Marate on Letterbox, and then you can follow us on Letterbox, Twitter, or Instagram. I haven't signed us up for any of the weird, like other social medias in case Twitter is imploding. So if Twitter does implode, you'll just have to stay subscribed to our podcast to find out new information. <laughs> uh, that again is at Chaos on the Set.